You're listening to Rosie on the House. Come on around back Arizona. It's 8 o'clock. It's Saturday morning. Outdoor living hour, third Saturday of the month. We have Jay Harper of the Farms Choice in Studio with us along with special guest Rob. We're going to be covering our lawn transition. And Rob's with Rainbird, a specialist in irrigation layout. We had... Uh, ASU's turf those are, manager. Those are his sprinklers you hear running right now. <laughs> what model would you say those are, Rob Simmons? <laughs> uh, probably a maxi pop. Old. <laughs> that distinguished sound, you recognize that anywhere. <laughs> so we've got a beautiful, uh, beautiful time of the year. And I tell you, I have not overseeded yet because our Bermuda looks so good. <laughs> Well, and it will for a while if you don't oversee. This is really, the 15th October's always been, to me, the magic day that you should do it or start doing it. And I've noticed, I don't know, Rob, if you notice this, but I've noticed we're, we're, we're kind of working our way back to that. There for a few years, boy, it creeped way up. Guys were doing it mid-September. Um. But they've kind of started backing off on that. We're having, I think, so many transition problems in the spring that part of it is they're, you know, they're just overseeding too early. Um, so this is the perfect time to do it. However, it, you can you can do it as late. The, my uh, my test for how late you can do it has always been the uh, the spring training facilities there at uh, on the Indian Bend at Indian School Park that the. The Giants used for years, and and they could never get on those fields to to mow them down till the fall league was over. So they're playing; they have that Arizona Fall League going uh, through the month of October. So those fields never got overseeded until at least early November, sometimes mid-November, and they came in fine. Uh, it's going to be slower. You have the risk of maybe some colder temperatures, but you know, slowing it down, but. Don't panic if you haven't done it yet, and you've seen all your neighbors doing it. You, this is this to me would be the ideal weekend to do it. it. Besides, it's not so dang hot yourself out there doing it. I don't know what, what Rob feels about yeah, that. Yeah, the but. the magic number for me. People always ask me when when do I do it, and I always tell them to look for the nighttime temperature. Once it hits about sixty five for a consistent time period, that's the perfect time transition in the fall and in the spring. Once it gets to you know in the spring. Once it hits about 65 into 70, that's a that's a number to when you want to start transitioning back to Bermuda. Um, but the Bermuda will come back, back in by itself. Yes. And when we're going to that transition away from Bermuda right now into the fall, one thing I have noticed is if you are waiting a little bit later to do it, it's still a good idea to buy your seed now because... Uh, you know, a lot, most of these have, you know, the, the Ewings and, uh, you know, nurseries, they've already ordered their pallet and that's probably, they're not going to reorder anything. Once that's gone, that's gone for the season. True. And, and another tip along with that is always keep about, well, depending on how big your yard is, a little extra seed after you've done it because the birds, the hot spots, the, you know, the misses. Or just down the road, if you got a little place that gets damaged, and you have a little, because you're not going to be able to go buy five pounds of seed in January. Uh, <laughs> you you may, but I doubt it. So keep yourself five or ten pounds of seed. It doesn't go bad uh, as long as you keep it dry, and have that handy in case you need to 
to uh, touch up a spot or two or thicken up a spot or two because it just never comes in perfect all the whole lawn. There's always going to be a little corner that's drier that doesn't germinate or something. Now, John, on seed, the prettiest winter lawn I ever had was the bag of seed I bought from your nursery on Hayden. What were you, what? I mean, there's different kinds of seeds you can buy, right? Well, yes. Yeah. So anymore, people are planting, you know, a perennial blend typically. The, the, going way, way back, I'm older than Rob, so way, <laughs> when I was getting in, you know, we sold predominantly annual ryegrass seed. And annual ryegrass seed was pretty inexpensive, and but you got exactly what you paid for. It was thick-bladed, wet. It grew fast. It, you know, clogged up your mower when you mowed it because it was just like baling hay. Um, and you left windrows when you mowed it, and, <laughs> and you tracked the green juice all over your driveway and your patio when you were done, and on your clothes and everything else. The ad then then we slowly started getting. Uh, perennial blends. So the old Metalist 7 came out somewhere in the, you know, 60s or whenever it was. And, but was, you know, it was pretty expensive and, and, uh, you know, people were reluctant to pay that. Then we, as more and more perennial blends, and don't let the, the term perennial fool you, it is not going to come back. It might in some shady areas, but it's not. I have like six little patches that are about the size of a silver dollar under the mulberry tree. (laughs) Well, I think we had a call last time I was on or an email about somebody that had, that were waiting for their perennial ryegrass to come back again, (laughs) maybe in Michigan. Um, But uh, um, anyway, and and so they, what they do is that every year they, they'll, there are trials, they'll grow hundreds of varieties of perennial ryegrasses and they'll trial them and then, and Company X might go, well, I like one, seven, and eight. And, and they try and blend these for different purposes. Maybe, maybe one of the varieties has better color. Maybe another variety is, uh, you know, more vigorous. And maybe another variety is, uh, you know, more disease resistant or something. And so they'll take three of those and blend them together. The problem is, you know, they're branding them. So, you know, you know. Ewing has their brand, and uh, Summer Winds Nursery has their brand, and Treeland has their brand. What's well, John Deere now? One site, on site? Site one? Site one. The problem is, unless, and what you might want to do, if you really, really, really like the lawn that you got this year, keep that little tag or that certificate that comes on that seed. That's, that will tell you which varieties of, you know, the names of those three varieties. Because Treeland's blend next year might not be the same as it was last year. I'll be darned. Okay. (laughs) So, you know, that's kind of complicated. And usually if you're buying a good three-seed blend, Rob can can chime in on this. I I don't think you can really go wrong. You're probably, some might be better than others. Sometimes it's weather, too, that dictates how they look. Well, I, I've, what I've seen is there's always a rye fescue bluegrass mix is some percentage of that's going to change. Um, and it really doesn't matter what distributor you go to. They're all going to be the same. Even, uh, you know, the box stores are going to have those same mixes. But like Jay's talking about, it's it's just going to be different every year because how they how they decide it. But it's going to have a, a blend of those. Um, 
you know, uh, Flagstaff's going to be a little bit different than here in Phoenix just because of the cooler weather. Um, cooler weather, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, the, the, the winter grass in Phoenix is the summer grass <laughs> up north correct, yeah, correct. because yeah. of, of, the, of the weather. What we're really planting is a cool season grass yeah. as our winter lawn because our, our Bermudas go dormant. And we're one of the few places, there's not, not everybody does this. Um, and I guess the reason we do it is the weather is so beautiful here in the winter. Why don't you want to be out enjoying your lawn? And, and we've had this conversation for years. If You know, the, the cities and everybody, you know, you don't have to plant a winter lawn, cut back on water. I'm like, well, if you want to cut back on water, let your summer lawn die <laughs> and have a beautiful winter lawn. You know, from October to May, if you weren't worried about transitioning and getting your Bermuda grass to fill back in, in the in the spring, you could keep ryegrass going until probably July, pretty pretty easily. Mm-hmm. Um, so you'd have July, August, September that you wouldn't have. And and you know what? I don't know about you, but it, that's not the most fun time to be out trying to mow a <laughs> lawn here. And all I'm looking, the only way I'm enjoying that lawn is I'm looking through the kitchen window out into my backyard, or I'm standing in my pool looking at my. After I've mowed it, I've jumped in the pool. So from a lifestyle, from a pure, you know, lifestyle, zero escape concept, the winter lawn is the one you want to have. And, you know, treat the summer lawn however you want. But We've done that. Just my two cents worth. With our backyard. It hasn't caught on, by the way, so <laughs> I obviously don't have a very good idea. <laughs> the, the one big issue I've seen around with that is, I think it's a great idea, but HOAs. Yes, um, they, don't, they don't like the, the thought of letting your summer grass no. die. Code enforcement guys in the yeah. cities don't, are not happy about with you if you so. have, you know, which. I th- There's one more reason I don't live in an <laughs> HOA. <laughs> yeah. So when you're overseeding, d- top covers, the, uh, the, the problem I have found with the top cover is not all my sprinkler heads are like two inches underground, and sometimes when they pop up now, they don't clear <laughs> the grass. So I guess that goes back to your, your seasonal dethatching, heavy, heavy dethatching. But uh, and, and second, like today I'm in the expedition, I don't want to put all that top seed inside the back of the – if I was in the truck, that's a different story, but <laughs> I'm not today. Well, if you if – you... Buy Rainbird's best equipment, <laughs> and you have great coverage on your sprinklers, and you have a, tro- uh, a a controller that will run as frequently as you can let it run. You do not need to cover seed with a mulch or a topping. Again, if we go back 30, 40 years, when hardly anybody had a sprinkler system, they were doing this with with a little Proen Square Spray sprinkler or a Nelson oscillating sprinkler and you're having to try and keep that seed moist then the covering is is a big big help and and if you have a irrigation system that's maybe not perfect or you don't have one uh, then i would and or if you have bare spots if you have just dirt and you're throwing that seed out on dirt you really need to cover that with a topper and I take five or six bags home. I've got some corners. I've got some areas that are shady. The Bermuda doesn't come back in, and I cover those. I can tell you that those are the first areas to come up. That topping does make a difference. It will improve your germination because it's holding 
not only moisture around that seed more consistently, but it's warmer. It's also protecting it from the birds and, from that. and everything. So, And that that's really why there's a top dressing is to really hold the moisture in. But, you know, like you said, if you have a system that is, you know, well enough to keep it moist and have, you know, different start times, you may not need that dressing. I, I actually don't. I haven't. I couldn't tell you the last time I did a top dressing. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. One triple eight. Rosie for you. Text questions to four one one nine two three. Email info at rosieonthehouse dot com. And thank you, Rob Simmons. You just saved me an extra two hours of my overseeing <laughs> this weekend. And I'd be like, why don't you put a top dressing? Because the Rainbird guy doesn't. <laughs> So when we went to the break, you said about not overseeding if you've got proper coverage. And uh, I remember having a conversation with Dan Sizen Dairy. They've obviously got a lot of, you know, they say they make money from one end or the other. And one of the other ends is, is all the manure waste they compost and they make topsoil. And he was talking, had this, his soil guy was talking about, you know, how a good topsoil will make the next year's even greener and the next year's even greener because of the microisms in the soil and on and on and on and on. But your point, Rob, was only if you've got a good irrigation system. You've got to oversee it. And Jace mentioned the same thing with his spot. So I didn't want to give anyone a reason not to do it and to be mad at me because they didn't well, oversee, they, they didn't put a top cover on and they didn't have a nice lawn. <laughs> well, and like I said, I, I will tell you, if you... If you do it, your lawn will come up more consistently. It'll come up quicker. You you know, it it does improve uh, the way that the seed comes up. At the end of the day, if you put enough seed on and you've got enough uh, a good enough irrigation system, you're going to be fine. But uh, Which if is... I had if I had like a 250 or 300 square foot lawn, I would absolutely do it. You know, four or five bags, it's easy. I would cover it day in and day out if you've got a fair size lawn and you don't have any way to haul you know a bunch of bags of stuff into your backyard that sort of thing you know golf courses don't do it except on the occasion they might do their tees or greens or if something needs leveled and they're sanding or something like that they also pay people to be out there all day long well and they've got they've got an irrigation (laughs) tech that that's all he's doing is going around and making sure that rob's equipment's working right but uh the other thing that we that we used to do and the reason we covered more back in the day is we scalped much harder you know we took we took that bermuda grass to the dirt i mean there you could hardly tell there was a lawn there and we don't advocate doing that anymore and that also leaving a little bit uh, of thatch there to seed into is also going to help protect your seed and keep it a little more moist so and do not dethatch or verticut or whatever this time of year when you're. A lot of guys got in the habit of doing that, and that's it's not a good practice on Bermuda grass that's going dormant for the winter time is to go in and damage it like that. You want to do that in May or June. So, so let's back up and start talking through that proper irrigation design. Uh, at the Shade Conference, a guy was made a joke about something in landscape architects cannot put a square edge on a lawn they've always got to have curves and he's like and sprinklers don't do curves 
<laughs> and, and that's more of an aesthetic thing. Uh, I, and you see that everywhere. It's it's not square anymore. It's there's curves. There's it, really hard places to water. So how do we design for? Let's start with a square before we start adding complications. We've got uh, a, a backyard. Let's say thirty feet wide off the back porch, and we're going fifty feet deep. So we're working uh, just on a on a brand new home built. Um, bare landscape. A lot of times it doesn't come with landscape. We've got a, a 1,500 square foot lawn we're going to put in. Uh, you know, the most heads that you can get, you know, there, there's a full head, there's a 90 degree head that works on the corners, and then you have the one quarter heads, uh, you know, that, uh, um, you know, will fit those areas. Uh, a lot of them are adjustable uh, to fit those. Um, you know, your, your spacing, there's heads that will do 8 to 15 feet. There's heads that do 13 to, you know, 20 feet and, and then up to 27, just depending on what your pressure is. That's the, the thing that I see a, a lot is people don't know what pressure they have and what, how many heads they can actually put onto their systems. So it's it really comes down to what is your pressure, what's your usable gallons per minute, um, and then going to figure out how many gallons per minute is the head that you want to use? Now, it's easy to test the pressure going into the home. What about into your landscape? Is there? There's actually a really easy way to do that also. If, you're, if your irrigation is coming off of your house um, and you have no idea how many gallons per minute, um, there's actually a really easy, yes, you have to do math, but <laughs> there's an easy way to do it. Um, you go to your hose, your hose bib, get a five-gallon bucket and a timer, and turn it on full blast, fill up the gallon, the five-gallon bucket, time it. You know, if it's, uh, uh, let's just say, 20 seconds, you take five gallons times 20 seconds or divide it by 20 seconds. That gives you like a point one, you know, something. And then you divide that by 60, and that gives you your gallons per minute coming out of your house. And then that gallons per minute can tell you how many heads can fit on each mm-hmm. uh, each zone. Zone. Yeah. Because 1,500 square feet, if you've got enough pressure, one zone might be able to do that. If you don't have enough pressure for all those heads, you might have to break it up into mm-hmm. two zones. Yeah. And that's where, you know, knowing what each sprinkler head gallons per minute is, because if you have gal- 20 gallons available and you know each head is five gallons, you know you can do four heads. If there's a song that ties into the topic at hand, Gary D. will find it. If you have your Rosie on the House home maintenance calendar, you can see there on the bottom right-hand side where it says tune into the landscape garden hour at 8 a.m. On October 19th, you'll see the keyword overseed your winter lawn. That's what we're talking about today with Jay Harper and Rob Simmons from Rainbird. And if you'd like your home maintenance calendar, if you now, if you're already on the mailing list and you got 2018 or 2019s, you'll get 2020. But if you'd like to be added to that mailing list, 
We'll send them out in December. We got them, uh, actually, we got them earlier this month. They started handing them out at the Saba Home Show, but we're not going to, we don't do the mailers till December. If you'd like to get your free home maintenance calendar and keep up with your landscape and garden on weekly tasks, along with things to do around your home, you can just send us the address you'd like that mailed to at info at rosyonthehouse.com, and it'll help you keep up with all the things we have to do around our home to keep up with, uh, well, for a lot of us, those nasty little HOA notes that come around when you've got a weed that's uh, three-quarters of an inch tall that somebody has taken the time to drive around and point out is in your yard <laughs> <laughs> and then take took the time to send you a letter about it. Uh, we were talking about our sprinkler layout and our pressure system. What about the difference in head types? You've got the traditional ones that just open and have a constant spray, and you've I've been seeing a lot more of these ones that rotate and have like uh, you know little streams they send out instead. So for most homeowners, you're you're going to use what we call a pop up, uh, which is just a pop up, and it just sprays out in whatever pattern you nozzle you have. Uh, you also have the big rotors that uh, unless you have a big yard, you're not really going to use rotors. Um, you know, and they'll spray 35, 50 feet, depending on what nozzle you, or what head you're using. Um, but the rotary, it's like a hybrid pop-up. Basically, it's a pop-up, but it sprays like a rotor, uh, meaning that it's got um, fingers that spray into the same pattern that you would normally use. Uh, it actually is, uses less water. It's pressure-regulated. Um, so you're you're using less that, well, that just means that you can put more heads sometimes on each zone to cover more area. And they're touted as being uh, less water mm-hmm. consuming. Yeah, yeah they're, they use less gallons. Um, and, and so, therefore, if you have 20 gallons instead of five heads or four heads, you may be able to do five uh, um, to cover more of that area. Because you do want to overhead, you know, over uh, spray, meaning that your normal head-to-head coverage, meaning that one head should spray to the next head um, to cover. Uh, you don't want to just let the, the two zones touch. You want to get it over to, to have the proper coverage. They're also less affected by wind, correct? Correct. Yeah, bigger, bigger droplets. Um, so, therefore, they're, you're, you're going to have less... Uh, loss. Every every head, no matter if it's a rotor or pop up, is going to lose some water. Uh, it's going to be gone before it hits the ground. Um, but the bigger droplet size, the better because it's going to get to the ground more likely. Now you were saying something during the break that eventually all the big stores are going to do it because California is going to do it, and it's not necessarily that uh, you know it's it's just the population size that that of California that kind of has this trickling effect to the rest of the manufacturing and what's available in stores. What, what is that change your, your um, pressure regulation? Um, it's a, it's a, it's a hot topic. Um, uh, and the reason being is you have le- less water loss. Um, we were talking that if you're, pro- if you're watering correctly, you're watering hopefully from 10 at night to four or five in the morning, you're not normally seeing your sprinkler system working. Um, and so if you, have, if you have a sprinkler head that's not working correctly, um, normally none of the rest of the system is working correctly um, because all the water is coming out of that one head. Um, pressure regulation would allow the same amount of water to come out of that broken head as the rest of the head. So therefore, all of it will water correctly instead of 
a dead entire lawn, you'll have a dead little spot. <laughs> um, and so that's what pres- pressure regulation is. Um, it allows, you know, if you think about a baseball field, um, let's say there's a sprinkler zone that covers right behind the baseline. And there's six heads on that one zone. Um, if you have not, not pressure regulation, the first head behind first base is getting all the water. And then by the time it gets to third base, there's hardly any water coming out of that sprinkler head. Pressure regulation pushes all of the same pressure all the way down to third base. So you're getting the same droplet size, the same spray out of all six of those instead of just the one. And that's really what pressure regulation is, is it just allows the same formality um, throughout all the heads instead of, you know, getting most out of the one. Because even if you're getting more pressure out of one, you're getting smaller droplet sizes. Therefore, the wind's going to take it. It's going to evaporate before it hits the ground. So pressure regulation is, a, is multiple things. It allows it to um, cover each one and bigger droplet sizes. And is that something that's designed into the control box, or is this designed into the head of each sprinkler? Uh, you can have pressure regulation at the valve. You can have pressure regulation at the head and pressure regulation at the nozzle. All three? Mm-hmm. Okay. If you'd like to join the conversation, one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. Or if you have a sprinkler question, or you can send text questions to four one one nine two three. Email at info at rosieonthehouse dot com or anything about your landscape or garden. We have uh, uh, ground cover was the featured in my last water use it wisely newsletter, and that's something that I have been looking for. I've got four pistachio trees in a row, and in between. Because uh, it kind of comes in the front drive. We were talking about how nice it would be to have a ground cover in between each of those trees. And over the next four or five years, just have this nice little hedge to drive in when you come in. And although that's an additional plan, it can actually be a water-saving tool. Well, anytime you're covering the ground, keeping so- uh, sun from contacting the soil and evaporating moisture out of the soil, sure. Um uh, something like Wedelia that would just spread out like crazy and cover a lot of ground um, would be would be perfect for that. Wedelia? W-E-D-E-L-I-A. Wedelia. Yeah. Now, what's the purple one? There's a purple and a yellow one that I... Lantana? I, I, I smell more than I see. <laughs> purple, yeah, Lantana has a very strong odor. That'd be fine. And that's the purple one? It can be purple or it can yellow. be... Oh, it's gold. The gold is a spreading. The purple is a trailing. So, yeah, those would be good ones, certainly. And what uh, are they both evergreen? Will it stay year round? They are. They are subject to frost, so they can. You can get some damage in the cold. Same with Wedelia. Um, so you know, if we have a really cold winter, you may have some pruning to do and they're all very fast growing though they'll recover quickly from that good now we've got a text question somebody wants to know can they still fertilize their bermuda lawn would depend on if you're overseeding or not if you're not going to overseed with winter grass then yes i would say one more fertilization would be fine Um, if you're going to overseed no you want to go ahead and and you might put some fertilizer down with the overseed to help that germination and the and the new cool season grass is going to be taking root and growing to have some nutrients there. But you don't want to fertilize with a typical lawn food this time of year if that's your plan. 
What would you fertilize with? Well, usually it's a starter type fertilizer. So something that's a little lower in nitrogen and maybe higher in phosphorus or potash. So the three numbers on any fertilizer bag, nitrogen, phosphorus, potash, NPK. Um, you know, a typical lawn food is going to have real high nitrogen, the first one, and, and fairly low phosphorus and potash or maybe no potash even in, in some cases. A starter fertilizer is going to be just the opposite. It's going to have pretty low in nitrogen because we're not trying to grow a lot, of, a lot of foliage. That's what nitrogen does. It grows leaves. Phosphorus in particular is f- for the rooting of that. So a very low first number, a, a moderately high second and or third number is what you'd want for a starter. 6-20-20 is a common one. Um, out there. So that's what you would put on at the time of seeding, whether it's a cool season or a warm season. If you're trying to start a new lawn in the summer, same thing applies. Now, John, if I'm in a setting where the HOAs are going to get upset, my, my neighbors aren't going to get upset, and I mm-hmm. don't want to plant a winter lawn, mm-hmm. do, I, do I leave the irrigation on the dormant Bermuda all winter long? I don't know how Rob feels about this. Yeah, but not near. It doesn't need. You just want enough moisture to, to keep the lawn from getting too dehydrated. So maybe once a month even okay. would probably be all. Yeah, it, it, you know, it's, it's, it's dormant. It'll come back. Um, keeping it moist, like, like you said, once a month is probably plenty. Okay. Um, yeah. I didn't I know noticed. if I could just shut those stations off or not, but go ahead and give them a you, shot. You can. It won't hurt the lawn. But what happens, and, and let me just caveat, it might depend on how much traffic that dormant lawn is going to get across oh. it. Because if it gets a lot of traffic and it's dormant, eventually it's going to be beat down to the dirt. <laughs> um, so you might want to throw a little water on there once in a while to, you know, kind of keep the dust and the dander down and, and just keep a little bit of more. And in, in a typical winter, if we have rainfall every couple, rain. three, then you don't need to do it anyway. Okay, so. I was just curious. Yep. Putting too much water also will... Help with weedy with weeds. True. You yeah. put too much, you'll start getting weeds. Um, once a month or so, not enough water for for weeds. If okay. you are not going to do a a winter lawn, you want to apply a pre-emergent to your to your summer Bermuda lawn. Good point. That's going into winter. So September, October, and again in in late February or mid March are the two key times for pre-emergent herbicide applications. Unless you're planting a winter lawn, and you don't want to do the one in the fall because then you won't have a winter lawn probably. I noticed last year we didn't do one in the backyard, and it made the ground very hard. I mean, we shut the water completely off, and mm-hmm. it doesn't get a lot of use. It's not a high trap. I think the dog trap uses it more than anything, and the chickens find their way back there. But that ground, we're getting ready to overseed because that's our, our football field for the winters. I mean, that, that is hard ground. It gets compact quick. Yeah, it does. Now, what about gardening? I mean, we've been talking about lawns all right. uh, all morning long, but this is a great time for your winter vegetable. You'd be so proud of me, John, for the first time in about five years because I've got so much time at home now. <laughs> we planted a winter garden. But I told Jennifer last night, I said, honey, there's something I've definitely lost since the crash. My bird netting skills. 
I almost got, got so taken up in the bird netting. I strangled to death. <laughs> bird netting can be a <laughs> that can be a fun little thing to. <laughs> oh man! Especially if you're trying to reuse it from the previous oh. years, <laughs> man, it'll test your patience. Oh god! In my younger years, I would have tried to reuse it, but I had Jennifer just buy all new stuff. <laughs> Jay, is there I, other things you can use besides that sticky stuff? Well, you you can use like a cheesecloth, or what you got to be careful of is how much sun you're inhibiting. Right. Um, if it gets too dense, uh, then it gets too dark for the plant or it can get heavy on the plant. Um, and it actually, as, as things start to warm up, it can get hot if it's laying on the plant. Um, I've had people use shade cloth and throw it right on the plants and, and it just torches the plants as it starts to warm up, whatever it's touching and laying on. So yeah, there's, you know, there's, if you can find a real, uh, opaque muslin or even that frost cloth material uh, where it lets enough sunlight through, that that'd work fine. Well, I remembered about an hour into the adventure, I told you to buy one big sheet I could just drape over the whole thing, 10 by 20 by 12. Don't do that. <laughs> do it get, in pieces. Get, get four separate sheets. <laughs> do the sides and do the top. <laughs> <laughs> First text message for you, Mr. Rob Simmons. We've got, what does it mean when you change your sprinkler and the head doesn't fully extend and the water spraying appears to have low pressure? It goes back to that pressure regulation. Uh, it's probably the end of the end of the zone, and there's just not enough pressure to pop that head up. Um, it may be that there's debris in it. Um, that's when you get to have the fun of turning your sprinkler system on taking the nozzle off while it's open, cleaning it out, taking a sh quick shower, and then putting the nozzle back on. It's, it's really just a, um, you know, take the head off, see if it's, you know, got something in it. If not, it's probably just a pressure regulation. It's just not enough pressure to pop it up. That's one of those few landscape tasks I prefer to do in the summer as opposed to <laughs> yeah, the winter. <laughs> yeah, it's, I was just going to say, that's much better when it's 90 degrees than when it's 40 or 50 degrees yes. out. Every time I do that, I think, man, I wonder how the pros do this, because there's got to be a better way. <laughs> well, but no, nope, everyone does. <laughs> the other thing you'll notice, too, as houses get older, is your pressure does change. It will go down, most likely, not up. Well, and, and you think about how many people are moving here. There's, there's going to be pressure loss just because of population growth. Um, you see a lot of people moving, a lot of municipalities moving to pumps because they just don't have the pressure. Um, more pumps. Um, you know, uh, businesses are moving to pumps because they just don't have the pressure. Um, and I, you know, until the water utilities improve theirs, we're not going to get ours improved. And that's where one of the fixes is to go to those hybrid rotor type mm -hmm. heads. If you're, if you don't have enough pressure for conventional pop-ups, you usually can go to those and they'll drive them just fine. Yeah. And you just have to run it a little bit longer, so you still get your, your gallon, your same gallon applied. Yes. Uh, well, for example, uh, a rotor, um, a full circle rotor, uh, is about three minutes to go full circle. Um, a half rotor is going to be about half of that. Um, obviously, you have to run the rotor longer because it takes, 
you know, you have one stream that covers the whole area, whereas a pop-up, you know, you're, you're probably watering three to four minutes. Um, the little hybrid R-Van nozzles that we have, um, you're probably watering those uh, seven to eight, maybe 10 minutes, depending on how many you have. Joy wants to join the conversation at one 4348 That's one 888 <clears throat> for you. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, guys. I appreciate you. I am a Desert Hills rat with a one-acre lot. I did not do pre-emergent last year, and I was so sorry. (laughs) We had a wet winter, too. That made it a lot worse. It was shin high for a whole acre. So I have the pre-emergent. I put some on when I cleaned up last April late. So it looks good now, but I know there's a lot of wheat seed. I did not pre-emerge. The last storm had water running. So now I'm waiting. Do I just wait? What if I don't get any October 1st of November rain? Then you're not going to... i got gonna, a one-acre. Then yeah, I have gonna, a one-acre lot, so I can't stand out there with a hose. Well, in your case, you just wait until <clears throat> we have another rain event and put the pre-emergent on prior to that. Um, if that's the only way you're going to get it watered in, and that's the only way pre-emergent is going to get activated, um, I guess that's the best you can do. The problem is you've already had a pretty good rain event in October, and I'm surprised you don't have some growth already occurring. Um, it's never too late to put pre-emergent on. You're just not going to prevent what's already growing. You're going to prevent what's yet to grow. Um, so you can do it any time. If you wanted to time it perfectly, though, mid to late September, maybe early October, and March, sometime mid-March. And that's what we do, Joy. Every, every, everyone at the house knows when rain comes, Daddy does two things. He <laughs> grabs the pre-emergent and the spreader and runs through the orchard and around the house in second. He jumps on the tractor and turns up the arena <laughs> for, for riding conditions yeah. until we get uh, our, our rainbird irrigation system on the arena, Rob's helping me with, um, up and going. And I will tell you one thing that we have found. Dad actually uh, gave this to us as a Christmas gift a couple years ago, and we have found it works great. It's a Dunn, It's made by Dunright, drpower.com. They have a lot of small equipment, and it's a little drag that goes behind our quad. And, you know, we'll just get out there and turn that dirt, and it, it cuts off those weeds, and it keeps them. It's not the... It's not as good as a pre-emergent because the weeds roots are still there, but we'll get out there on the weekends and just drag it to cut the heads of those weeds off just because uh, it's better than, than letting them grow. It's always easier to control weeds, whether you're doing it mechanically or with a, with chemical, while they're little. <laughs> yes, <laughs> while they're little. When you get that deep root in there, that bigger stalk. Well, and that... Or you got a bunch of dead tall stuff now, and you still got to go mow it or bag it up. All right, well, we appreciate y'all. Uh, Rob Simmons of Rainbird, Jay Harper, the Farm's Choice. Thanks for joining us this Saturday morning. Always a pleasure. Thank you. <laughs>